Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. We're starting a new series. It's called Punch Fear in the Face. Uh, why are we doing this series? Well, the, the main reason has to do with grizzly bears in college. Um, and we'll probably have to explain that a little bit. Grizzly bears in college. So if, if you're like I was in high school, there is like one curse word that's like higher than all other curse words, and it starts with an A. And I don't know if it's uh, the one you're thinking of, but it's actually an acronym, and it's the acronym ACT. Anybody else like feeling me on that one? Like, like, like it's the most like despicable like three letters that could ever be put together um, that you could imagine. ACT. Uh, you might as well say some other word. Um, so that's a, big, that's a big preoccupation, right, is to get like this certain score. How many of y'all are feeling that? Like you got to get that certain score or you will be soon. You got to get that certain score so you can either get the scholarship you want or the college you want to get into or get into this program. So you're preoccupied about that, right? There's all sorts of things that are in the future that preoccupy your time. But if you were on a hiking trip um, this weekend um, in the Monongahela National Forest and did I say that wrong? Oh, yeah, and, and you, walked, you, you walked around a corner on a trail, and all of a sudden there's, there's this grizzly bear. Well, that'd be in Alaska, but a black bear, but a big bear. A bear's a bear. I'm, you know, I'm code brown, and no matter what kind of bear it is, like, you know, the contents of my stomach are gone, right? So um, you, you would see this bear, and you would be scared, and there would only be one problem that you would be thinking about at that time. You wouldn't be thinking about the ACT. You wouldn't be thinking about college. You wouldn't even be thinking about prom. You'd be thinking about one thing, how do I get the heck away from this bear, right? That's called, psychologists call that a fight or flight response. I'm sure you've heard of that, right? Fight or flight, meaning that when there is a situation that immediately threatens your existence, your brain naturally focuses 100% on that threat so that you can survive. That's a good thing. You shouldn't be thinking about ACT prep when you're about to get your head ripped off by a bear. But here's the issue. They've, according to studies, and I mean, I find it to be true personally, but according to studies, your generation, you know what your generation label is or name is, right? Your Gen Z. Your generation and my generation, you know what generation I am? I'm not a boomer. The middle schooler's like, yeah, I was like, what generation am I? They're like, boomer? No, I'm a millennial. <laughs> but that Gen Z and millennials both have such an issue with fear and anxiety that most of us, I'm lumping myself in with you because this is true about both of our generations, most of us, instead of being able to make decisions about the future, there's some non-millennials back there maybe talking back there, some Gen Xers interrupting our lesson. No. Uh, but here, here's the problem is that, is that instead of make, you know, making decisions about our future, which obviously the Bible has a lot to say about our future, right, and about eternity, and instead of living in light of that and making decisions about eternity, because we harbor so much fear and anxiety in our, in, in our lives that we're in a perpetual, I had to explain that word to the middle schooler, the, a perpetual state, a continuous state of fight or flight response, meaning you're not trying to survive eternity, you're trying to survive the day. You're trying to survive Cabell Midland High School or wherever you go to school. You're trying to, Jesus, help me get through this day. You know, that's, right? Yeah. But, and, and Jesus wants to help you get through that day, right? But he also wants you to survive 
and have a meaningful life and to have an eternity that counts with Him, right? But the problem is because we have locked ourselves in a prison of fear, we're not able to engage all the eternal promises and all the life that God has for us. So for us to be able to tackle our fear is a very important thing for us to do so we can grow in our relationship with God. That's why we're doing the series. And there are a couple different kinds of fear that we're going to talk about tonight um, is, is the first one. But here's, this is the thing I'm going to repeat all three weeks because I think this statement, I didn't come up with it myself, but the statement is so important. I kind of pieced it together from other statements. The statement is so important that we should really get this. And it's on your notes if you got the handouts in tag. If, any, if you didn't get a handout and tag, they're on the back there. But, uh, they're, they're at, back there. But I, I put it that, that the end of fear, I think it's actually the next slide, Matt. The end of fear is found inside a personal relationship with a good and sovereign God. So if we want to punch fear in the face, I'm probably going to do that multiple times just because it's so satisfying. If we want to punch fear in the face... First, we have to not just have a knowledge of God, we have to have a relationship with God. And we have to know Him as good, that He's looking out for our best interest, and that He's sovereign, meaning that He's all-powerful and in total control. So when we have a personal relationship with this person who is all-powerful and He also has our good in mind, we can sleep at night. We can make decisions for not just today, but for our future. And tonight, the fear we're going to be talking about is FOMO. You know what I mean by FOMO, right? What does FOMO stand for? Fear of missing out. Hey, how, how many of you, you just, you feel that? You got, I'm, you're like me, you got all the FOMO. Like, that, that's me. Fear of missing out. So I wrote down some things that maybe we, um, we would be afraid to miss out on. Um, you ever found out that you, like, weren't invited to something that the majority of the people around you were invited to, and you, like, missed out on that? Like, that's a terrible feeling. Um, and now it's worse than ever because you just scroll and you see all the things that you missed. You know, you just <laughs> see all the things that you missed. Um, a lifestyle. I don't know how else to miss this. But I want to know how some of these people that are, like, your age and my age, like, every weekend they're in a different part of the country or a different part of the world. And you're like, like, how did you do that? Like, I, I, I'm in Barbersville this weekend. Like, <laughs> like I'm in Salt Rock. Like, like, like we, there's the, like, people are living these big lifestyles that we just don't, we don't live. Like, you, people are you know, spending their, like, spring breaks here and there, and where I'm like, I'm on the couch, like, eating my weight in ice cream. Like, 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 like that, that's me. And we feel like we're missing out, and not just missing out on things that other people are doing, but you have more decisions than ever to have to make. And by saying yes to one thing, I think this, it's, it's like this for my generation, your generation, that maybe wasn't like this for previous generations. You have so many opportunities available that to say yes to this one thing means you need to say no to eight other things. So like if you want to play travel ball in the summer, you got to say no to this, and you got to say no to this, and you got to say no to this, right? If you want to be in band, you got to say no to pretty much having a life for like three months or something like that, right? Like, like if you want to play football, like... You have no life till football season's over, right, Will? Yeah. So, so, so you're having you, all these decisions. What do I major in in college? And if I major in this, that means I can't major in this and this and this. And 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 all these things are piling up, and you're having to make a decision. And you can kind of see how that creates this like fear and anxiety because what if I make the wrong choice? Like, what if I miss out on something that I really should have been in? What if I look back five years from now and wish I would have chosen differently? So tonight. The big lesson in a sentence is that contentment in Christ, I get to do it again, contentment in Christ is a sucker punch to FOMO. 
And the passage we're going to get to go to is Genesis chapter 3. If you remember, and how could you not, because I said the word sex about 80 times last week. We, were, we spent some time in Genesis chapter 2, and we were talking about Adam and Eve and the things that they did together. Uh, we're going to start in Genesis 3, so go ahead and turn there, and the verses will be on the screen. Uh, but to kind of set up where we are in Genesis 3, obviously it's the third chapter like in the Bible. So Genesis 1, it talks about how God created the heaven and the earth and what the earth we walk on, the plants that we see, the animals, and how He created us, right? Genesis 1 talks about how God created everything. Genesis 2 zooms in on exactly how God created people. It talks about how God created humans out of the dust of the earth. Um, that's why we smell sometimes, you know, the dust of the earth. He breathed into people the breath of life and how God created people in His image. He created men and He created women both in His image. And then at the end of Genesis 2, He talks a little bit about men and women and how they get along. And He talks about how God handcrafted this woman, Eve, for Adam and how God handcrafted Adam for Eve. Like they didn't have Tinder back then. And all they'd be doing is swiping and seeing the same person. But like, uh, like <laughs> I mean, it'd be kind of funny if there was. And we're not going to go there. But there's a really interesting parody account that made Tinder profiles for all the Old Testament characters. Like, and it's really funny. Anyway, um, God created Adam for Eve. So he created these two perfect people who were perfect for each other. They didn't have to wonder if they, he, Adam didn't have to wonder if he found the wrong girl. Eve didn't have to wonder if she found the wrong guy. God, he's like, here, I handcrafted you guys for each other. I want to put you in this paradise garden where there's bountiful, like, fruit and all the animals are tamed so you can, like, pet some lions together or whatever. And he said, I'm going to create you guys perfect for each other. Um, I'm going to put you naked in paradise, and your one command is to make babies together. Like, paradise, right? God put, God, so Genesis 2 ends in paradise. It actually, the last verse, Genesis 2.25, says, Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. So they weren't naked and afraid. They were naked and they felt no shame. Then Genesis 3. You, so think about this. Where could FOMO enter this situation? What could you be missing out on? I mean, you, you, you've, got your, you've, you've got your romance. You know, you've got your food. You've got, your, you, 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 you've got a job. You know, you, you've got everything you could ever want. Like, what, where could FOMO enter? Well, as long as Satan is roaming the earth... There's going to be FOMO. And that's what we learn about in Genesis 3. So we're going to read the first seven verses together. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made, or that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw the tree, that it was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate it, and also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together. And they made themselves loincloths. I thought it'd be great to end on the word loincloths. So that's why we ended on it. But verse 7 kind of ends the, the, you know, the, the, that section of the account. And you know, short story, if you've been around church or you've even like 
maybe cracked the Bible open once, you've probably heard this story. It's the story of how sin entered the world, how God created Adam and Eve and the world, and he placed them in this beautiful garden and says, you can eat of any tree you want except for this one tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree because you'll die. You don't want to eat that tree. It's poison, right? So what does Eve do? What does Adam do? Well, Eve starts. Thanks, Eve. Yeah, Eve, takes a, Eve is tempted by Satan. She takes a bite of that fruit. Then before he beat up on Eve too much, Adam was right there. He takes a bite too, and ever since, the world has been under the curse of sin. That's why your, I've said it before, that's why your parents take so much time to decide where to eat on Sunday afternoon when you, when you, after church. It's because the last time a man and a woman couldn't agree on what to eat, the world was plunged into depravity and sin. So, so, yeah, so yeah, there's that. But that's how, this, that, that's how things happened. But it's so interesting how there's so much FOMO in this situation. And that's why when we say content in Christ is a sucker punch to FOMO, well, we say that because we see so much discontentment in Adam and in Eve when they should have been totally content. They should have delighted in what God had for them. So we're going to learn a couple things about discontentment, and we're going to treat discontentment as a seed because we see how Satan sowed the seed of discontentment among Eve and among Adam. So the first thing we learn is that the enemy sows the seed of discontentment. The seed of discontentment is sown by the enemy. It's really interesting if you look at these verses, what how Satan is, I hate to say it because I don't like giving him any more credit than he's due, but Satan is smart in this aspect. Look at verse 3, or verse 1. It says, The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field the Lord had made. So we learn another from other portions of the Bible that it was Satan who was speaking through that serpent. So when you think of that serpent, it was Satan who had taken control of that serpent. You ever think, why a snake? Like, why didn't Satan choose to speak through a lion? Or like a chimpanzee. Or like a chipmunk. Wouldn't that be cute? Like if a chipmunk could speak. You know, it's like Alvin, you know. Um, but <laughs> he chose a snake. Because I don't know why, but Satan was so sly that he knew that for some reason a talking snake would stop Eve in her tracks. And that she would be... <laughs> Totally focused on what the snake had to say. So you could take verse 1 and kind of apply it to our current situation. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Satan is more sly and more innovative than you can imagine. And I think instead of talking through or speaking through a talking snake now, Satan has a new way to sow seeds of discontent. We've already mentioned it. You open this up and you lose an hour of your day looking at everybody else whose life is 10 times better than yours, and all of a sudden, all those promises that you, that you know to be true about your life and God, they seem to have faded away because, just like the talking snake, our lives become consumed in what we're seeing. So I believe, I'm not against technology, I love technology, but I believe that Satan likes to use certain aspects of it to sow seeds of discontent in our lives today. Look at the questions that he asks, and I think... He still causes, plants these questions in our minds. The first thing he does is he makes us, and he made Eve, question if God knew what was best. Does God know what's best for me? Verse 1, he said to the woman, Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God really say that seriously? Like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, I'm pretending to be Satan. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You won't surely die. 
when you, is what he said to her, when you eat that fruit from that tree, you won't surely die. You ever look around and it seems like you know, everybody who's doing the wrong thing, everybody who's living a life like counter to this book, they seem to be succeeding. And here I am you know, trying to like, you know, we just had the sex lesson, and here I am trying to you know, do the right thing in that area. But like, like she sleeps with half the football team and she always has a boyfriend. And I'm trying to like do the right thing. And I can't get a date. Those seeds of discontent, you know, we see other people who aren't living according to God's word, and they're doing this, or they're doing that, or they're getting this offer, or they're doing this. We feel like, I'm doing the wrong, right thing, and no, God's not helping me. The next thing he does is he makes Eve question God's goodness. Does God know what's best for me, but does God actually want what's best for me? Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because if you do, you'll be a threat to him. And he's like, and yeah, he, he probably he maybe inserted like something like, and let me tell you from personal experience, you know, God doesn't like threats. God's a maniacal dictator and he kicked me out of heaven because I was trying to be like him. And God doesn't want you to be like him either. So if you eat this fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. Because God doesn't want you to be as good as you can be. And sometimes we, I think if we're honest, sometimes we question, you know, does God really want what's good for me? If he did, why would he put me in this family? Does God really want what's good for me? Because if he did, why did he let my grandpa pass away? Those kind of things, that we, they, they make us, he plants those seeds that make us question God's goodness. So Satan is good at sowing those seeds of discontent. Sometimes he does it through this. Sometimes he does it through life experiences. But Satan sows the seed, and then he just walks away and lets it, like, grow in your life. And that's the next thing we learn is the seed of discontentment is, I like this word, it's germinated by our thinking. You know what I mean by germinated, right? Um, you did it when in your first grade, you know, you got a little soil, you know, you did a little project where you got the little soil, and you put your finger in it and make a little hole, you drop the little seed in there, you cover it up, make a mound, water it, water it, and all of a sudden this little sprout comes up, right? Because it is germinated, right? It's gotten wet, and it's gotten the nutrients, so the, the, the seed splits open, and a, and, and a shoot, you know, a green shoot comes out. It's germinated. Our thinking, when we think on that seed of discontent that Satan has sown in our, our mind, when, when we dwell on it, and when we think about it, just like Eve did, it starts growing. Satan kind of drops the mic in verse 5, and he's gone. You don't hear about him for the next couple verses, because it's all Eve at this point. Yeah, Eve tries to say the devil made me do it later on in the chapter, but God's like, uh-uh, that was, that was on you, Eve. That was on you, Adam. It wasn't the serpent. It wasn't the devil. It was you. Because Satan pretty much just planted the seed, dropped the mic, walked away, and let her sink her own ship. Look at what it says in verse, uh, verse 6. So the woman, that's Eve, saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that a tree was desired to make one wise, and she took of the fruit, and she ate it. Here's the mistake she made. She used the world's method of evaluating a choice. Isn't it interesting? You know, your parents, and some of you do, you have parents that have, like, they, put, they, they have rules that sometimes you roll your eyes at, but they, you know, they kind of have rules that, you know, they try to protect you from the world, like they have rules about your screen time, or they have rules about, like, what you can watch or where you can go, and they're trying to kind of, like, protect you from the world. And that's, you know, you probably don't like it, but, you know, you got you to gotta admit, it's admir admirable, right, that they want you to grow up and be spiritually mature and vibrant. But when you depend on the rules and you don't seek after God on your own, the world is not out there. The world is also in here. Think about this. Genesis 3, there hadn't been a halftime show yet. 
Genesis 3, there was no such thing as Tinder yet. Genesis 3, ain't nobody snapping nudes to each other in Genesis 3. There was none of that. The, what we think of when we think of a world did not exist, but the way of the world already existed in Eve's mind. Because look at it. In, in, in first, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Peter 2.16, it says that the way of the world revolves around three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And you can see it right here in Eve's mind. Verse 6, it says, the woman saw the tree was good for food. That's the lust of the eyes. We may call that the aesthetic Right? Yeah. We, we, see something, or you, we see something that we, we want, and we got to have it. We're making our entire decision on how visually appealing a choice is to us, or in our minds, how we think about it. That was the lust of the eyes when she said it was a delight to the eyes. She saw the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh. You ever try to make a decision on what to eat when you're hungry? You'll go for the big old burger. You know, whether, whether or not you're going to pay for it like an hour later, you're going to go for the burger because your, your, your stomach is screaming louder than your mind, right? The lust of the flesh and then the pride of life. She said the tree was desired to make one wise. Hey, I could be like God. If I major in this, everybody would look up to me. If I go out with him, people will really think I'm something. If I go out with her, man, that'd be awesome. See, the world had, didn't exist yet. The world wasn't there. I mean, there was no outside influence. It was all in her mind. So when we think about the discontent, when, when we allow Satan to take our focus off who we are in Jesus and focus on who we think we aren't in accordance to the world, discontent germinates in our heart. And the final thing about discontentment is that it is harvested by our tomorrows. There's a major shift that happens after Eve eats that apple. Verse 7, it says, Their eyes were both open. They knew right from wrong at this point. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed figs leaves together and made themselves loincloths. End of verse 20, end of, end of chapter 2. The man and his wife, or the man and the woman, were naked and they felt no shame. Take the bite of the fruit, they're naked. And they feel shame. They're sewing fig leaves together like, we can't be naked. God's coming. There's the shame. You could say at the end of chapter 2, they were naked. In verse 7 of chapter 3, they were naked. You know the difference between naked and naked. If you're naked, you're in trouble. You should not be naked, right? So they go from honor to shame. They go from enjoying God's presence. Think about this. Before sin, God visited them every night, not just like through his word, which we are thankful for and we adore, but God literally physically came down to earth and his glory shone in front of Adam and Eve, and they got to like sit in that and bask in that every day. What happens after sin enters the world, after they act on their FOMO and their discontent? God's going around saying, Adam, where are you? Adam's like hiding behind a bush, fig leaves falling off his butt, you know, and, 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 he, and Adam said, God, I'm naked over here. I don't want to come out. If God says, where are you? You know, that's a problem, right? God obviously knew where he was. He's sovereign. He's all knowing. But we see a relationship with God to hiding from God. We see health to pain. God makes some specific, like, uh, you know, there's, there's consequences of, eat, of, of eating the fruit and of sin. One of the consequences of sin is physical pain and disease and, and unhealth, uh, unhealthiness. Um, you know, we see that where, where it, 
God says to, to, to Eve, I'll multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you'll bring forth your children. So we see, and in, in there, you know, there are other ways in which pain enters the world. Then we see that relationships are broken. Remember Adam and Eve, like the, the perfect match, like, like, like Ken and Barbie, you know, the perfect people. Now God says, as a result of your sin, because sin is now in your heart and in your husband's heart, you guys won't get along together. You're going to fight over who gets to call the shots now. So we see broken relationships. And then Adam, he makes a cur- you know, we, we learn that because of sin, uh, he says your work is going to be hard now. It's no longer going to be fun. <laughs> like God's gift used to be name the animals and have sex. Now the new gift is you work the ground as hard as you can and maybe you'll get enough food to sustain you. And the final thing, the worst thing, is that we go from life to death. Verse 19, it says, You will return to the ground out of which you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. So we see that the choices that we make when we're letting FOMO sit in the driver's seat will be harvested by our tomorrows. That doesn't sound really alleviating, right? That almost ups our anxiety level, doesn't it? Saying, oh, shoot, like if I make the wrong decision here, like I could be screwed, like I could be in big trouble. But here's where we turn it back to our contentment in Jesus, our contentment in Christ. Are you tired of being anxious about your decisions? Punch FOMO in the face by being content in Jesus and who you are in Jesus. An author that I like to read sometimes, I don't always agree with everything he says, but um, yeah, an author that I like to read, um, his name's John Piper, and he has a quote that, yeah, I read this years ago when I was a teenager, and it's always stuck in my mind, and it's this, that God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. You know, we think we glorify God by doing mission trips and, and, and serving in the nursery and doing this and doing that. Here's the greatest way to glorify God. It's when you can be satisfied living in Huntington, West Virginia, when it seems like everybody else is doing big things. And you wake up in the morning and you open your Bible and you hear from God and God speaks to you and you pray and he answers and you gather together with his people and you encourage each other. And the life, the spiritual life that God has for you is the most satisfying thing that you could ever imagine. That's when God gets the glory. So how do we find contentment in Christ if it really is the sucker punch to fear? I'm glad you asked. I have five L words for you. Last week it was F words because we had to have F words for the sex lesson. But tonight it's L words. And each of these has like a Bible verse that's attached to it. Um, So so you may want to look at these later. But the first is learn how to apply God's word to everyday situations and decisions. Think about it. Eve knew exactly what God told her. She said, oh, we're not supposed to eat from that tree. What'd she do? Eat from the tree. Isn't that like a microcosm of our lives? We've memorized like a butt ton of Bible verses But how many of them do we live when the pressure's on? We don't just know God's Word. We have to apply God's Word to our everyday situations and decisions. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Eve kind of messed that one up, right? She she did not eat to the glory of God. So even the most basic decisions that we make, 
from the people that we hang out with to the people that we date and the people in, 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 the, in, in the way that we dress and the way that we speak and the, way, the places we go, all those decisions that maybe seem unimportant to us but we still stress out about when we find our contentment in Christ and we filter every decision we make by how can this decision give God glory, we punch FOMO in the face. The next thing is that we develop, you're not going to like this one, but I'm just going to say it, we develop healthy limits on screen time. If Satan really, and I believe he is, and I, I, I don't know that anybody that's going to argue with me on this one. If Satan really is, I think we'll all admit this, if Satan really is using our socials to sometimes plant seeds of discontentment, wouldn't it make sense then to fill our mind more with the truth of God rather than the seeds that are being planted by Satan and get the ratio right? Romans 12, 10 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and discern what the will of God is. So if you want to know what decision God wants you to make, put down the phone, pick up the Bible, and renew your mind. The next thing is, look around and see God's blessings in your life. Ephesians, yeah, I know I pointed this to you a lot, but Ephesians chapter 1 talks about how we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. But how many, yeah, including me, how many of us could name all the spiritual blessings in Ephesians 1 that it says that we're blessed with? Versus how many of us could name all the posts that we viewed on social. Look around at God's blessings in your life. There are more than you think. The next thing is live by faith and not by sight. Remember Eve, she just kept looking at the fruit. She just kept looking at the fruit. She just kept looking at the fruit. She could not pull herself away to remember that God was coming that evening. And instead of being ready to meet with God, she was afraid she'd miss out on a fruit. And the final thing is, find contentment in the love of Christ. This is a really weird verse to end on, isn't it? It's a verse that doesn't sound very spiritual and very inspiring. It's, Gen- it's, this, it's the passage we're in Genesis 3.15. God makes a promise to Eve. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the... Or makes a promise to the serpent, Satan, about Eve. He says, I'll, be, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Hallelujah. Don't you feel encouraged? It's not very appealing when we read it, but this verse is called by Bible scholars. You may care, you may not care. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, and somebody came up to me afterwards and was like, Matt, what was that petroleum jelly verse that you mentioned? I was like, no, it's the Proto-Evangelium, and all that means is it's the first mention of the gospel in the Bible. So think about this. It took us two and a half chapters to screw this up. Right? (laughs) This is how long it took us to screw it up. This is the story of how we screwed it up. This is the story of how God rescued us. And that rescue story is kicked off in Genesis 3.15 when God promises that the seed of a woman, meaning, meaning a human, one day would crush the head of Satan. When did a human crush the head of Satan? When Jesus died on the cross and he made a mortal blow to the sin, that's going to hit me, isn't it? He made a mortal blow to the sin that separates us from God and that kills us. So when we feel like we've screwed it up and now we're just in damage control, we remember the, 
Just this alone, looking how thick the rescue part of the Bible is, should remind us just how much God loves us. How he kickstarted a plan that took over 1,500 years to unfold and ended with his son bearing our sins and dying on a cross should tell us how much we're loved by God and how content we should be in what Jesus did for us. So, if you're like me, in every decision, even little decisions, bring on almost like this crippling anxiety. I never had anxiety till a year ago. And now, I, and, and a, year start, a year ago, I started getting panic attacks. Couldn't explain it. I thought I had heart problems and stuff. And I, the, the doctor said, oh, you just have anxiety. Oh, well, thanks. You know, <laughs> but take this pill. You know, um, when we can't even process basic decisions, we turn our attention to Jesus and who we've become in him and all the spiritual blessings that God has blessed us with. We take our eyes off the fruit and we look at Jesus. So that's, that's it tonight. Um, we're going to pray and get out of here. Uh, so let me, let me pray for you guys, and we'll embarrass somebody by putting them in the middle, and, and, and we'll get out of here. Uh, so let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for bringing us together tonight. And, and God, I, I ask that as we, uh, as we leave, uh, we will leave totally content in you. Um, that if everything else was stripped away and we were left with nothing but the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit living inside us, and, and your word to read, and prayer as a way to talk to you, that we would be content with that. Oh, God, there are a lot of good things that vie for our attention, but I pray that we'll never sacrifice the good thing for the great thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.